It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us as we continue our coverage tonight of breaking developments in a plane crash in Iran that killed everyone on board, including dozens of Canadians. Here's what we know so far. The Ukrainian passenger plane was scheduled to fly from Tehran to Kiev, Ukraine. It took off just after 6 a.m. local time, climbing to nearly 8,000 feet before suddenly crashing to the ground just 17 kilometers from the airport. All 176 people on board the Boeing 737-800 were killed, among them 63 Canadians and at least 12 from B.C. John Waugh has more on the tragedy and what we're learning about the local lives lost. First, it was these devastating images that left so many in utter disbelief. But as the names of the 176 passengers on Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 were released, the heartbreak hit home. On top of being a mother, she wanted us to be friends, and we really were friends. We really were close friends. Kimia Porshabano Shibi's mother and father, among at least 12 people from British Columbia on board the flight. The appreciation they had for me and my talents, it was a real driving force in the way I view myself. Amidst her grief, this daughter says her goal is to live up to her parents' legacy. Two doctors working to be recertified to help those in their new home. That's what I want to do. I want to put my parents' name in good and do greater good for the world. For the friends of Ardalan Ebnodin Hamidi, his wife and 15-year-old son, one comfort is this close-knit family had each other at the end. They're all together, you know, and, uh, and I think that's the only thing that actually comforts me. Together, their gift was always giving back to the community. Hard to believe such good people are gone. It will take years and years for another friend like that to come, come around. The initial assessment is the plane on its way to Kiev suffered a technical malfunction shortly after leaving Tehran. The transport ministry suggesting an engine fire could be to blame. But with so little information, loved ones say it makes this horrible time that much harder. Iran government doesn't want to pass the uh, black box to Ukraine. And I don't know what happened. As Rahimi, a local photographer, says Ayeshe Porgaderi and her daughter Fatima Pasavan were also killed. The husband and father in his studio the day before, picking up photos for their Canadian citizenship test. It's unbelievable right now. They are not here anymore. And it's very hard for me, you know. The only way to get through this tragedy is for the families to know the truth. People who believe that with honesty and with good virtue, you can get through anything. The next step towards healing, if they can, is bringing those they love back home. John Hua, Global News. Well, the number of Canadians killed has taken many by surprise. More than one-third of the plane's passengers were Canadian. And the heartbreak is being felt from coast to coast tonight, including in Alberta, 
where unbelievably 27 Edmontonians were killed in the crash. From the debris fields strewn across the Iranian landscape, it was obvious there were no survivors. In the Toronto suburb of Ajax, Omid Arsalani certainly knew his sister, Evan Arsalani, niece Kurdia, and brother-in-law Hiva Molani had died, but he couldn't accept it. This morning I, I tried calling her phone and the phone was ringing, but... <laughs> I was hoping she picks up and she says, yeah, I'm here. That's not the case. It was a night when entire families were lost, leaving friends and relatives struggling to understand how. Shocked doesn't seem strong enough to describe how the Iranian community in Edmonton is feeling. 30 of the victims, including gynecologist Dr. Shakufe Chupanajad and her daughters Saba and Sarah, hailed from Alberta's capital. Persian community, Iranian community is a very close community, so everyone knows each other. They are my family. They are every Persian's family. Arash, Purzarabi, and Pune Gurji had barely begun theirs together. They were basically the, the kindest souls that I knew. They married in Iran, as did Siavash, Ghafuri Azar, and Sarah Mamani from Montreal. Difficult, very difficult and devastating. Collectively, the brain power lost is enormous. So many of the victims were PhD students and doctors, like Dalhousie dental professor Cherie Fagihi. She was very lovely, very educated, quiet, humble. Uh, she would very care about people. They all cared about someone. Motaba Abashnazad lost his mother a year ago. The University of Toronto PhD student was in Tehran to spend time with his brother. His last words to the world came via a tweet, joking, I predicted there would be war before my flight home. Mike Trillet, Global News, Toronto. Iranian authorities have recovered both black boxes from the crash, but so far are refusing to hand them over to Boeing for examination. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expressing his shock and sadness at the loss of life, promising the crash will be thoroughly investigated. We expect to have a, a role in this investigation that uh, Canadians will be asking for answers, and we're there to support and find out the truth. After escalating tensions in the Middle East in recent weeks, it appears, at least for now, that Iran and the U.S. have taken a step back from the brink of war. Aaron MacArthur has more on the cycle of violence and questions about whether the peace will last. Broadcast around Iran and the world, state TV showing the launch of a dozen ballistic missiles at Iraq. U.S. air bases outside Baghdad and Erbil targeted. The moment of impact purported to be captured live. The missile strikes said to be a direct response to the U.S. assassination of Iranian General Qassam Soleimani. The tension in the region seemed to be ratcheting up by the hour. Wednesday morning, a major step down from President Trump. The United States is ready to embrace peace with all who seek it. Canadian soldiers currently stationed in Erbil have all been accounted for. Prime Minister Trudeau asked if the Canadian government comfortable with the reasons the U.S. had given for its preemptive strike against the Iranian regime. Americans uh, made a decision based on their threat assessment. Uh, we uh, continue to work 
uh, to counter Daesh in the region. We'll continue uh, to work to stabilize Iraq. The supreme leader of Iran calling the attacks in Iraq a slap in the face to the U.S. The foreign minister suggesting the attacks were a measured response. And the United States has to come to its senses. Indications from inside Iran suggest the missile strikes were designed to inflict as few casualties as possible. Iraqi officials warned well in advance of the strike and damage to the air bases was minimal. The attacks seem to be designed in a way to have no casualties but also send a message that they have the capability and if it comes to it, the will to attack. The situation in the region remains highly volatile. The U.S. promising punishing economic sanctions and is threatening Iran about its nuclear ambitions. There are no indications of any real move towards de-escalation. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And now a warning from Vancouver police as they investigate an attempted child abduction. It's alleged the driver of a red minivan asked a 12-year-old girl if she wanted to come with him. Police say the driver approached the girl in the area of 50th Avenue and Fraser Street. She refused and ran back to her school where she asked for help. The driver is described as a white man with pale complexion. In his mid-50s, about 5 feet 10 inches tall, with a medium build, he had white hair, facial hair, and yellow teeth. And at the time of the incident, he was wearing a gray t-shirt and blue jeans. If you do see a vehicle that matches that description, please do not approach the vehicle or the driver. Instead, take note of the license plate if possible. A $50,000 reward is now being offered for tips that lead to the arrest of a convicted murderer. 59-year-old John Norman McKenzie was last seen back on August 7th of 2018 at Mission Institution. His disappearance was first noticed during a headcount that evening. McKenzie was serving a life sentence for a string of convictions, including second-degree murder and armed robbery. Police say he is highly intelligent, computer savvy, and it's possible that he left the country. The RCMP is committed to continued collaboration with our domestic and international partners and are hopeful this new relationship with the BOLO program will be the key in locating McKenzie so he can be returned to Canada to answer to these charges. The taxi driver killed in a horrific crash just before New Year's is being remembered as a kind and caring person. Sanapal Singh Randawa was at the wheel of the yellow cab that was hit by a car to go at Renfrew and First in East Vancouver. Today, friends and colleagues gathered in Delta to say goodbye. Our Grace Key was there. Fighting back the tears, Jatinder Deep Randhawa remembers his younger brother. Friends and family packed a Delta funeral home to mourn the death of 28-year-old taxi driver Senapal Randhawa, who was killed in a collision. Cousins say he was a role model. He taught us true love, appreciation and kindness. He only cared about others and expressing his love to others. 
The collision happened on December 29th at 3.30 in the morning. Vancouver police believe the car to go ran a red light at first in Renfrew, T-boning the taxi. Exclusive video shows the car to go speeding just before the crash, possibly evading a counterattack roadblock. Irish media identify the driver as Gary Hollihan. In his 20s, he remains in hospital in critical condition. My brother is not in this, this world anymore, but we want justice. Sinopal lived the Canadian dream. He came here 10 years ago, worked two jobs, saved his money and bought his first home. But he was killed before he got a chance to move in. And in February, he was going to meet his four-year-old nephew and visit his brother in Australia. They hadn't seen one another in 12 years. Every day he calls, calls me and um, asks me to like uh, turn the video camera on so he can watch my son for three, three, like sometimes over three hours. A lot of times I check my phone, he's still like they both still playing, talking to each other. A young nephew will grow up never knowing his uncle and a family is left shattered as they wait for answers. The collision remains under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. Growing tensions near Smithers tonight where Wet'suwet and hereditary chiefs are digging in, vowing to defy a court injunction against blockading the coastal gas link project. Our Sarah McDonald is on the ground there covering the story for us. So far, Sarah, opponents have made it difficult for pipeline crews to get to their work sites. Sophie, in fact, workers have not accessed the site in recent days, but RCMP have. Announcing late this afternoon, a criminal investigation has now been launched into what was discovered. Without a word, the trees toppled across a crucial access artery at the centre of a long simmering standoff speak volumes. It was put there for our safety and the safety of our people and our supporters that are out there. And sent an unmistakable message from the hereditary owners of this highly polarised and symbolic swath of Indigenous land to the energy giant looking to run a pipeline right through it as RCMP launch a criminal investigation, releasing these photos of rubber tyres covered by tarps with accelerants, kindling and fuel-soaked rags underneath and more trees poised to fall at any time. Safety is our highest priority. The company behind the $6.6 billion natural gas pipeline project supported by the provincial and federal governments, further bolstered by a recent B.C. Supreme Court ruling posted to one of those downed trees on Wednesday, ordering all obstructions and obstacles preventing workers from accessing construction sites like the one it's being taped to be removed. But it is clear that will not be happening, at least not by choice, with those opposed to the pipeline not backing down and prepared to repeat history. One year ago, more than a dozen people left by force in handcuffs. Something recently erected infrastructure indicates pipeline opponents are prepared for again. We have to rely on history. A year ago, what happens? The hereditary chiefs of the expansive nation spanning 22,000 square kilometers at odds with its elected officials among 20 First Nation councils province-wide voting in favor of the project. I'm sure it'll come together and we'll be all reunited again. That's my hope and dreams. But unification among all sides, at least judging by optics, is unlikely. With RCMP and pipeline opponents on site both growing in numbers, the energy giant looking to legally continue putting shovels in the ground, planning to resume work this week. And when or if those items discovered by RCMP might instigate the enforcement of that injunction order remains to be seen tonight, with all sides still, Sophie, maintaining they are hopeful for a resolution that doesn't involve violence or arrests. All right. Thanks for that, Sarah.
Right now, though, according to ICBC, catalytic converter thefts from vehicles are a growing problem. Some might say an epidemic in Metro Vancouver. It's a fact not lost on the owner of a used car dealership in Langley that has been targeted repeatedly. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, thanks to some recently stepped up security, he has a better picture of at least one would-be thief. It's a horrible sound, but one Carl Schifferns has gotten used to hearing. These are pros that are knowing what they're doing. This cube van and this Volkswagen are two of six vehicles on Schifferns' used car lot in Langley that have had their catalytic converters boosted in just the last two months. They've had somewhere between sixteen dollars to $20,000 worth of vandalism, theft, damage, whatever you want to call it. And early Wednesday, a seventh vehicle was hit, although on this occasion the thief's attempt to steal the cat failed. They've used the chop saw to cut the pipe and left her hanging there. Catalytic converter thefts have soared in Western Canada. The number of claims to ICBC may have broken a record last year. The crime's not only costly, but dangerous. It's believed a botch theft led to this inferno in Port Coquitlam last summer. And in Alberta, police are calling the problem an epidemic. We've had 500 since October 2019. Filled with precious metals, catalytic converters are worth a small fortune and end up at scrapyards around Metro Vancouver. Recyclers, I'm sure, are paying pennies on the dollar for this stuff, and they're the ones that are taking this, you know, he gives the guy five bucks for a cat, and they're taking them and sending them in, and they're getting hundreds of dollars for these things. They've uh, got the cat cut halfway out of this one. He says the solution is mandatory ID checks, phone numbers, and photos of all sellers. Video surveillance, get good cameras. These guys, you know, maybe take a picture of them. If you're going to sell metal to these guys, you got to put yourself on paper, put a picture of it, put their driver's license. If they don't have that or they're not willing to provide that, obviously they're criminals. Schifferns knows the value of good cameras. You see, his caught a clear image of the suspect Wednesday morning. If you know this guy, call Langley RCMP. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Charges have been laid in a shocking truck rampage that was caught on video. Take a look. Thirty-eight-year-old Josh Tyler Schaefer is now charged with dangerous driving and mischief. He was allegedly caught on video driving his pickup into two vehicles, one of them occupied, and three businesses on Monday. It happened at the Country Club Mall in Nanaimo. Schaefer was taken to hospital with injuries. No one else was hurt. Investigators say Schaefer is known to police, and they are looking into the possibility that drugs were a factor. Heavy snowfall across the B.C. interior, keeping the Ministry of Transportation busy these days. Three major highways have been closed for at least part of the day for avalanche control work. Crews triggered controlled slides on Highway 3 and the Kootenai Pass, forcing travelers onto a detour via Highway 3A and the Kootenai Lake Ferry. Highway 3 will reopen early Thursday morning. Well, the Coquihalla Highway was also closed for a few hours today between Hope and Merritt. Two and a half meters of snow have fallen in the Coquihalla region since late December, creating a substantial avalanche risk. Many drivers heading through the coke on both sides of the closure today simply waited it out. Uh, well, we'll be uh, hanging out, I guess, walking around, getting him to helping uh, visit him and stretch his legs and and uh, 
kind of settling in. Good thing I got water and food and uh, I've got energy so I can keep warm. That's good. That's so, good. an unexpected vacation, a little time off. <laughs> what are you going to do? And BC Transportation also tweeting out this spectacular video of avalanche control on Highway 1 west of Revelstoke at Three Valley Gap. Further avalanche control measures are planned for the Trans-Canada tomorrow afternoon between Mount Revelstoke and Glacier National Parks. And there is a threat of snow for Metro Vancouver. Meteorologist uh, Christy Gordon joins us with those details. Christy. Sophie, we're giving people a heads up for tonight. We have the possibility of a few showers or flurries for the Fraser Valley as well as south and east Metro Vancouver. Now, we're not expecting a lot, but sometime between 11 p.m. tonight and 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, we could see a little wave push across our region, just clipping the area. So we could see anywhere from one to three centimeters when I come back i'll show you who would see the most and what other parts of vancouver island could get hit all right thanks christy 17 husky puppies found badly neglected at christmas time have inspired one of the largest public responses the okanagan spca has ever seen the puppies are now healthy and up for adoption and today the first pups left the shelter for their new homes hi sweetheart <laughs> hi Eddie and Bill Bjornsson are meeting the newest member of their family. Beautiful. beautiful, Absolutely gorgeous. The couple driving 400 kilometers from 100 Mile House to Penticton to adopt a 10-week-old husky puppy. (laughs) They have named Remington. It's like winning the lottery. Yeah. That's because hundreds of people applied to adopt one of the 17 husky puppies that made news headlines over Christmas when the badly neglected animals ended up in the care of the BC SPCA. The animals came in uh, lethargic, uh, underweight, very thin, with lots of parasites, and they had urine scald all around them. The pups, along with two adult dogs, were living in sub-zero temperatures on a property somewhere in the interior. They were surrendered to the animal organization following a cruelty investigation. Their story touching so many people, longtime staffers say they've never seen a public response quite like this. One of those successful applications was from this family from Vancouver Island. My heart was pounding. I... I couldn't get my thoughts together. I was just in shock that I got the call. They hit the road immediately, traveling the roughly 600 kilometers to the Okanagan. It was a quick rush. We were packing our bags. It was really literally like adopting a baby from another country. All 17 puppies, 12 of which are at the Vernon branch, have now been matched with owners who will give the dogs a second chance at life. Filled with howling success. Claudia Van Ammer, Global News, Penticton. Well, how's this for a vacation excursion gone sideways? About 40 tourists had to be rescued from a glacier in Iceland after, they organized, after their organized tour got caught in a brutal blizzard. Everyone eventually got out safely, but some of the tourists were critical of the tour company, saying at one point they actually feared for their lives. Police are investigating. Police say a fatal shooting this morning in Ottawa was targeted and they don't believe the crime was a national security threat. An 18-year-old man was killed and three others were seriously injured when someone opened fire at an Airbnb rental. 
in the city's center town area. No arrests have been made so far. We are hearing for the first time from a former top auto executive after his shocking escape from Japan, where he's facing criminal charges. Former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn was his usual defiant and bombastic self as he related why he fled from Japan. In an at times chaotic news conference. Sit down! that went on for more than two hours. Where are the French? CEO turned fugitive, Carlos Ghosn, bowing to clear his name. I am used to what you call Mission Impossible. But refusing to talk in detail about his seemingly impossible escape from Japan. This was the most difficult decision of my life. The former Nissan CEO fled the country while facing four criminal charges. Today, grainy CCTV video emerging, said to show part of the fugitive's audacious escape, transferring onto a flight bound for Lebanon, where he has family roots. According to multiple reports, he got past airport security in Japan and onto a private jet by hiding in a large trunk used to transport concert equipment. Would you recommend a packing case as a means of travel? Out on bail, he fled after spending 130 days in jail. Today, comparing his experience with the Japanese justice system to the attack on Pearl Harbor. I was brutally taken from my world as I knew it. Ripped from my family. Gohn was charged in 2018 with financial misconduct. Today, his Japanese lawyer's office raided as prosecutors there say jumping bail could constitute a crime in itself. I did not escape justice. I fled injustice and persecution. Tonight, free from the grip of the Japanese, but not free to travel out of Lebanon, unless he can clear his name. Keir Simmons, NBC News. All right, brace yourself for this one. Today would have been Elvis Presley's 85th birthday. And to mark the occasion, the Elvis estate is auctioning off dozens of items at Graceland to benefit the Elvis Presley Charitable Foundation. Items up for sale include jewelry, clothing, musical memorabilia, autographs, and even a golf cart. In Health Matters tonight, a major drop in the number of deaths from cancer in the United States. The American Cancer Society says deaths fell by 2.2 percent between 2016 and 2017. That's the largest one-year drop ever. Most of the decrease was fueled by progress against lung cancer and some skin cancers. Well, if you want your children to eat healthier, new research says you should get them to watch a healthy cooking show. Dutch researchers had a group of children watch cooking programs with both healthy and unhealthy food. They were then offered a snack of fruit or chips. The kids who watched the healthy food show were twice as likely to choose the fruit over those who saw the show with unhealthy recipes. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. A Texas man buys a second-hand VCR and finds this adorable recording inside. After the forecast, his first meeting with the man who took his first steps on camera. That is so cute. 
All right, uh, one of our news guys around here, Ted Field, you probably know him, uh, tweeted out a picture of the moon looking like a giant snowball. And uh, is well, that a premonition? <laughs> certainly, I think it certainly is. I think it was no, uh, uh, no coincidence that he tweeted <laughs> that out, that's for sure. All right, so here's a look at the snowfall totals that we're expecting. This is overnight tonight. As I mentioned, very light amounts. And there's a chance, since we're hovering around the freezing mark, that some areas may just see showers, even in the regions where you're seeing snowfall accumulations. So this is just an example of what we could see. Surrey, White Rock, Langley, Maple Ridge, maybe a centimeter, and then out through the Fraser Valley, maybe a couple to three centimeters, and that would be between uh, the late evening hours, 11 p.m. tonight, and uh, tomorrow morning around 10. Vancouver Island likely also getting some. Malahat potentially three, but anywhere from Port Alberni to Victoria could see a couple of centimeters, as you see here. Now, Tomorrow's not going to be a bad day at all. So that chance of showers flurries just lasts into the early morning, potentially during your commute in those areas, though. And then in the afternoon, it's going to be pretty nice. The next system is set to push in tomorrow evening, taking over Vancouver Island first and then heading into Metro Vancouver. Now, a lot of areas will see it start as just rain. But as we head through the overnight period, certainly temperatures could cool across all of Metro Vancouver, where we would see a period of transition to snowfall. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty here, so I really urge you to tune back in tomorrow. We'll focus in on this one, but it's a heads up that starting tomorrow evening into your Friday morning, we certainly could see a more significant snow event causing some problems for your commute to work on Friday morning. So tune back in tomorrow. Here's your forecast for northern regions. Snowfall terrace down through the central interior and the caribou, anywhere from 5 to 10 centimeters, and that includes Williams Lake. These areas here, it's just a chance of flurries, otherwise a mix of sun and cloud. And as I mentioned, that chance of showers or flurries overnight for southern Vancouver Island, metro Vancouver, otherwise a pretty pleasant day tomorrow. We reach a high of only 3 degrees, so definitely on the cool side. And then and from there on in, we are going to see a transition to rain on Friday, but temperatures are going to stay cool starting at the end of the weekend through next week, bringing in the chance of snow once again. Oh, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, Christy, I think. <laughs> Texas filmmaker Jim McKay bought an old VCR from a Goodwill store and found an old VHS tape inside. When he pressed play, he discovered the priceless content. The, the video captures a momentous occasion for any family, a baby taking his first steps. McKay posted the video online, hoping to track down the family. So on Sunday, he found them. And this morning on NBC's Today Show, he met now 26-year-old Tyree for the first time. Do you want to kind of meet him face to face? I would love to. Meet Tyree, come on out and meet Jim. It was amazing. I was actually out when uh, my mom called me and uh, she was watching the news. And uh, what'd she say? She was well, she, she was just like, hey, you know, you're on the you're on the news right now. You're walking as a baby. You're like, what? I'm like, what? You know, I'm out, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was two drinks in. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, OK, cool, cool. You, know? you thought she was too. <laughs> Tyree, what a surprise. Yeah, a little confusing. What do you mean? Cool. I'm walking as a baby on TV. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I love in those old things you have the time code burnt in and the date. Right. Yeah. Just one game. Just one game. I know. A lot of goals. I, it was it was a stunning goals way. For three games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a stunning way to end the uh, seven-game win streak, and we're not used to seeing that kind of an outing from 
Jacob Markstrom. However, you know what happens. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning scored so often last night, I think they woke up this morning with so, sore arms from raising them constantly. It's a game that for the Canucks was a bigger disaster than that movie version of Cats. But the beauty is they have to block it all out of their mind because they have a game tomorrow also in Florida down in Miami against the Panthers. And they practice today because Travis Green said he didn't want them sitting around the hotel dwelling on what happened in Tampa last night. So their seven-game win streak was blowed up real good. But that streak was nothing compared to the one the BCHL's Coquitlam Express have going right now. They've won 17 in a row, and dating back to last season, they've won 22 straight at home. And through the middle now, O'Rourke knocks one down, gets past Price, O'Rourke across, and they score! In your career, the most hockey games you've won in a season in a row? Um, it's got to be this year. I mean, it's something special we got going here. I. I don't ever remember, you know, putting up as many wins as we have this year. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. And the number as it currently stands is? Uh, I think we're at 17 right now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. The team captain is not mistaken. It's 17 straight wins and counting for the front-running Coquitlam Express of the BC Hockey League. Up and he scores. Cooper Cottle. When did you realize this could go somewhere? Honestly, for me, it was like at the start of the season. Um, just seeing the guys, I was injured for the first little bit, so I was kind of watching and to see our success right away. We kind of went on little stretches where we get five games in a row or little stuff like that. Right wing feet, gets it through to Gregor. Two on one with Rizzo. Gregor, Rizzo, scores! Forget about chugging down the track. With 36 wins and just five losses, the Express are in full-on bullet train mode. They've already clinched a playoff spot and lead the mainland division by 25 points. There's no question who the team to beat in the BC Hockey League is. You can tell that just by probably our last six games in a row. We had, I think, three straight go to overtime or shootout, and then the last three we had on the weekend, we were outshot by probably 10 to 15 shots in the couple of them. And it wasn't because we were playing bad hockey, but the teams, everybody's got our number whenever they step on the ice, and we were fortunate to have some good goaltending, and we've stepped up and played some good clutch hockey in the last couple third periods as well. It's caught! by Watson as he was falling down. To be honest with you, at this point it's a blur. Um, you know, the streak, when I think when you're going to 10, I think that's the magic number. When you're chasing 10, then I think it's more from the fan side. You're going to 17, then you're going 18. You're, oh, you're at 20. Well, you just got to find a way to just play our game. So is that a winning streak beard we got going or are we already getting primed for the playoffs? I'm trying to get primed for playoffs. I mean, it's turned into a winning streak beard because I know my teammates would give me a hard time if I even touch the thing. So, uh, no, it's turning into a playoff beard at this point. Wing side, Trotman to the front of the net. They score. Oh, Ethan O'Rourke. Back to the Seattle Seahawks wanted to beat Philadelphia last Sunday with their running game, but that didn't happen. Instead, they beat the Eagles with defense and DK. Rookie receiver D.K. Metcalf was the star of the show. Or to be official, his full name is DeKalen Zacharias Metcalf. And against Green Bay this Sunday, he is the guy the Packers will be watching closely. They don't want what happened to the Eagles to happen to them. Rocket in motion. Wilson. Deep downfield, getting free and open and making the grab. This Metcalf in for the touchdown. Metcalf was a second-round draft choice last year who was in tears when the Seahawks took him. DK! <laughs> hey, DK, this is Coach Pete Carroll. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. <laughs> okay, we'll both cry together then, all right? <laughs> Metcalf's tears were not just tears of joy, but also frustration because he thought he should have been drafted in the first round. 
Why y'all wait this long, man? I know, I know, I know you had to wait a little bit. Uh, at the moment, I was, I was mad. Um, but you know, after everything said and done, uh, looking back at it, I'm just happy that I, I landed here. You're going to play with the Seahawks, and you're going to catch fo- footballs from Russell Wilson. He ended up catching 58 footballs from Russell Wilson, 63 if you add in last Sunday's playoff game. And his connection with Wilson began right after he was drafted when he got a phone call from his quarterback. I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks just called my phone, Russell Wilson. I mean, I was starstruck. Um, but, you know, I had to come to two like, all right, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to you know, show, show the world what I'm about. What he is about is talent combined with an extreme work ethic, whether it's on the field or in the gym where he's become legendary. Here's second and goal. Wilson being rushed, goes deep in the end zone, wide open. He's fast becoming the receiver both Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll want to go to. I mean, just saying that they trust in me, like, you know, two of the highest people uh, on the team uh, trust in me, you know, to get things done. So, you know, just got to you know, take that and uh, continue working and, you know, show them why they, why they trust me so much. Motivation to spend more time in the gym. <laughs> you know what? This is true. His dad played in the NFL. He actually started lifting weights at the age of four. Wow. Seriously. There's the result. All right. Thanks, Squire. Snow report for this evening. Once again, some pretty incredible numbers tonight. Now, Whistler Blackholm picked up 14. Grouse and Cypress are cold enough now, thankfully, but no new snow. Sasquatch, 7. Manning Park picked up 8. Revelstoke, a really nice 25. And Fernie, 37. Kicking Horse picked up 15. Big White, 5. Silver Star, 3. Sun Peaks, 11. Apex, 1. Mount Washington, no new snow, but at least they're cold enough now and there is snow coming. Whitewater 27 for Red Mountain and Powder King 2. Well, royal watchers around the world and especially here in BC have been abuzz all day after the unprecedented announcement by Prince Harry and his wife Meghan. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex saying they're stepping back from their royal duties and will live in the UK and North America. Speculation is now, or speculation is now rampant that BC might be one of those homes. Richard Zussman reports. After a Christmas break spent on Vancouver Island, two of the world's most famous faces still gushing about the trip. It was just such an incredible time that we were able to have there and with our son too. And this royal family may be coming back to Canada much sooner than anyone expected. In an Instagram post today, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, and Prince Harry announcing they are stepping back from their roles as senior members of the British royal family. We now plan to balance our time between the United Kingdom and North America, the statement reads, continuing to honour our duty to the Queen, the Commonwealth, and our patronages. This isn't the first time I've heard of people who have a vacation here in Victoria and then go home and, and look immediately for a way to move here. The plastic sheeting serving as a reminder of the Sussexes' visit here, blocking the public's view from where they were staying. Those that live in this area say wherever they decide to move permanently, if it is here to Vancouver Island, they will need their privacy. They love it the way we do, probably. So I think they need their privacy. A young couple needs to be able to choose, and if they came here and liked it, well, why not? British media reporting Harry and Meghan didn't consult any other members of the royal family before announcing plans to spend part of the year away from the UK. Buckingham Palace releasing this statement. We understand their desire to take a different approach, but these are complicated issues that will take time to work through.
they are basically resigning from their major responsibilities as members of the royal family. So yes, they, pre- they pretty much are quitting. If they end up in Canada, experts say British Columbia would be a logical choice. Harry spent time here as a kid on Whistler Slopes, and Meghan's mom lives down the coast in California, plus the recent family holiday at this home. Whenever any kind of major celebrity or influencer comes and shares that with their followers or their community, it just again builds that communications brand halo. But nothing is set in stone. The couple and baby Archie have close ties to Toronto, where Meghan worked on the show Suits. Even so, this picture of Harry and baby Archie, likely not the last time the two are captured in B.C. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. So, would they have to wait in line if the ferry is late or backed <laughs> up? Or like, if they didn't make a reservation, they just went on spec? Yeah. I have a say. feeling they'd have someone fly them where <laughs> yeah, they need to go. <laughs> Tim Horton has offered them free coffee forever. Well, that so was sealed the deal. That makes maybe it worth it. The deal. Okay. Thanks very much. Or maybe last word before we go, because things are changing. Chant- a chance of showers or flurries overnight for south and east metro Vancouver, as well as the Fraser Valley, just one to three centimeters. Well, if that's the weather, they're not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. <laughs>